You are listening to the Ortho Idea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson. I'll be your host today. And today we have the honor of having Steve Dimmer on the podcast. He is the CEO of Curbifix. And Curbifix is an exciting new technology in the marketplace that addresses pelvic disruption, pelvic fractures, and really game-changing technology. So without further ado, Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Eric. And thank you for everyone who's listening in. We look forward to sharing our story. Yeah. And it's a very neat story. And uh, I got the opportunity to do some research and attend a webinar last week. And it sounds like you guys are onto something game-changing. So if you would, could you talk about the kind of the origin of Curbifix and, and kind of the timeline of how we got to where we are now? Sure, sure. I'll share with you kind of my beginnings, which were in 2014. I got asked by a local venture capital firm to look at a project up at University of British Columbia. So the person leading the project up there, his name is Dr. Robert Meek. Dr. Meek's a very interesting surgeon. He basically founded the orthopedic trauma division up in Vancouver General, up in Vancouver, BC. And he's been frustrated with pelvic fractures his his entire career. He had retired, went back to the university and told them that, hey, you know, I have this, this problem that I've been struggling with my whole career. I'd like to work on it. And this has been several years into his project. I went up there with, again, a, a local VC in Seattle where I, where I live and where the company's based, asked me to take a look at the project. I met with Dr. Meek. I met with Robin Coop, his PhD, who is doing some research, and came back and thought, maybe, right? This is interesting. It's very early. They had an early prototype. I didn't have a background in orthopedics at the time. This is startup number five for me, so I know how to do startups, but had a lot to learn and just really wanted to understand if this thing had legs. And told the VC I had a, several questions I would ask if I was them before I'd put more money into this. And the VC looked at me and said, well, we have some money. How'd you like to answer those questions? And that was the beginning of Curvifix, so literally. Gotcha. So, well, thank you for that. And as of Obviously, as of, as of right now, you you come a heck of a long way. And could you talk a little bit about the product? And I know we don't have to get too deep into actually, you know, features, benefits, and things of that nature. But just kind of talk about explicitly what the device does. So pelvic fractures are among the most difficult and challenging that orthopedic surgeons face. And the devices they have to fix those fractures, and, and fixing a fracture is basically holding it. And with good alignment during the healing process, usually over about six weeks to, to 90 days, really haven't changed much in 30 years. There are straight screws that surgeons are trying to do that really don't work well in curved bone. Bone plates that require hours of surgery or external fixators, which go outside of the body and have to be attached to the bone through the skin, which all those have their own unique challenges. And we thought there had to be a better way. And this device is an intermedullary device, which means it goes totally within the bone. It's, in a, it's minimally invasive, so a single small incision, we can put it in there. It follows the natural contour of the bone, so it can be longer, it can be wider, and curved, all of which help one give better fixation. And once we have it in place, we can lock the shape, which is really unique and novel, and that really is our core technology. So by doing all those things, we can make a, a simpler, more straightforward surgery for the surgeon, 
For the patient, we believe this has potential to get them up and walking sooner, which is really what it's all about in, in fracture fixation and with pelvis in particular. I'll give you one final comparison on this with it. One of the things that really got me excited about it, give you an example of a woman who falls and breaks her hip in the United States. Now, if she's in the U.S., 95% chance she's going to get fixation. Again, she'll get an intermedullary device. It'll hold the bones together during healing. She'll get up and moving. If she breaks her pelvis, there's only a 10% chance she'll get fixation, which we think is a real problem because these patients don't do well when they're put on bed rest. And, and that is the only alternative. You put them on bed rest, you mobilize them, the bones will heal if they're close together, but the patients will, will have bad outcomes, or many do. Well, it's, yeah, interesting you brought that up because I did come up, my background's in trauma from years ago. And, and so the morbidity rates of, of those with pelvic fractures is scary to say the least. And there's been no new way to to help those patients or fix those fractures for until your device, obviously the plating, but you know, that's an interesting statistic that, you know, that only 10% will get fixation if, it, you know, if there's some kind of fracture like that. And, um, and unfortunately, like I said before, we know what the mobility rates are with intertrope fractures. So with pelvic fractures, I know it's considerably higher. What was the, and I know you said that your founder, you know, just thought that there would be a better way. What took him down the path of an intermedullary device? Was it, was it, what, what was the thinking behind that? He wanted a strong fixation. So he's primarily a trauma surgeon, right? So the patients I just talked about are real elderly patients. So he's really had a trauma focus. And there, it, you know, plate surgery can take hours. It's very difficult and challenging for everybody, for the patients, obviously, because now they have a big incision, higher risk of infection, delayed recovery potentially because of that. And straight screws are very difficult to target. That's probably the one thing that really got him going. He told me, I was not good at trying to target straight screws in a curved bone. You can imagine trying to shoot an arrow down a bobsled run with multiple changing curves. It doesn't work very well. So you end up with a screw that's probably shorter than you would have liked that may have gone out to the bone where you don't want it to go. And it's, they just have challenges. And 15% of those screws fail. And Steve, thank you for that. And so I wanted to understand more of the timeline of, of where you are in the evolution of the product. I understand you have your 510K, if you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. Sure. We got a 510K in 2019. It's got a, a nice broad indication for fixation of pelvic fractures. And what we decided to do then was, was not commercialize right away. That's not the kind of company we are. So we, we started a, a clinical study, call it the Restore Clinical Study. It's basically nearly complete, but we wanted to gather some data, get some evidence to help us sell and you know make sure we didn't have any early kind of product challenges we had to work through. So, so we're, we're well on our way. And I'm just delighted to say we had our first uh, sale. We released the product to sale last month. It's kind of an exciting time. We're at the beginning of commercialization. Been fortunate to hire a very seasoned commercialization team. Bart Balkman, who's our chief commercialization officer, was the early VP of sales at Ellipse Medical Technologies. You may know them, limb lengthening. Yep. So we've got a, just, a, just a great team and, and really excited about this next stage. Well, that's great. That's exciting, exciting times for sure. And I, I have been following and seeing your, your restore study that you're doing. And I uh, saw some, some information for Dr. Meta up in, in Philadelphia and, and some other, you have some real, and obviously Dr. Rout in Houston have some kind of pillars in the pelvic arena in the trauma world of surgeons. So it sounds like you have a fantastic team. It's been great. And the surgeons have just been been wonderful to work with. 
I'll say, you know, Dr. Rout in particular, since, since you mentioned, he was one of the earliest surgeons we met with. And, you know, Dr. Rout's a, what's a good way to describe him? He's delightful. He's engaging. He's challenging, but he always wants to help. So he, he always took our meetings, was very supportive and engaging, and he's got so many fellows. And anyway, that's just one example. We've got many other surgeons who've worked with us and, and really helped us develop this technology. Well, that's exciting. And so you just mentioned as far as obviously going to market and commercialization, what is, what's your thought process on? Are you going to be going through a distributor network? How are you going to be handling that sales part piece of it? Yeah, this is a, a classic level one trauma center device to start. You know, we're, we're focusing mainly on high impact trauma to start, which is, you know, about 40% of the market or most of the market today anyway, 40% of the patients. And in that, a distributor model works pretty well. Many of the distributors we're using, uh, Bart Balkman and his team have used before to lift, so it falls in pretty nicely with that. So for us, just to answer your question, we're focused on sales leadership, all the marketing materials and the like, and the distributors who are in those cases with the surgeons every day are the ones who are handling the product and selling it case by case. Well, that's great. Yeah, obviously, it's a, you need someone there who's technically proficient and understands what needs to be done in, in the operating room, because this is obviously a very new technology for, for the surgeons themselves. But in looking at it, just seeing the flexibility that it has, it, it, it's pretty intuitive at the same time, you know, just having one portal and obviously the intermediary device, there isn't a lot of variability on insertion. And I know, and I know right now we're getting way down into the weeds of, of the product insertion, things of that nature. Obviously, you're in the marketplace now and you're, you're selling with, with different distributors. Where do you see the future? Where do you, where do you see as you know, next steps for Curbathix? Yes. So we're doing a limited launch. You know, we're focusing on the larger accounts with luminary surgeons primarily. And this next wave will be getting a really a good foothold in high impact trauma, just demonstrating that the device does what we believe it, it should do, that patients recover well, that surgeries are pretty straightforward to do. And then we're going to branch out and, and get more data in frail elderly. We've done a couple frail elderly patients already. They seem to have done well so far. So for us, it's get the limited launch underway and kind of branch out to frail elderly. And then, you know, next year for me, I've got to raise another, another round of money. So that's the near term for us. Get a good start in a limited way, limited and focused way. Well, that makes perfect sense. And, and obviously you're well on your way. And like I said, I attended the, the webinar that you had last week. And obviously, key surgeons that you have in large level one trauma centers, very busy surgeons, seeing pelvic injuries that are coming into their into their centers. And you had mentioned when we first started, just kind of the origin of the company and the founder and, and some of the things, getting things kind of going in commercialization wise. And so I often have been, several people come on the podcast. We talk to several CEOs and founders of organizations and how they started and you know, their ideas. What would be some of the things that you would say or, or advice you would give to somebody who's trying to start out? New idea in orthopedics, obviously, is the Orth Idea podcast. So what advice would you give those who are going to try to start their own company, something like Curvafix? Yeah, so maybe I'll turn the clock back and just, you know, I was brought in as the consultant for the VC and the kind of evaluating the project. So maybe I'll kind of start there. So what I look for in very early stage are probably four things. Number one, is this a real problem that, that you have? Is it not? Is it, if it's addressed pretty well with existing devices, 
it may be very difficult to get the technology across the finish line because you have to be a whole lot better. Can the technology be developed without spending enormous amounts of money? And can you set up clear milestones along the way to show progress? Because you're going to have to raise money. One also, what I think one is very intuitive for imperative that someone also does is, you know, if I'm a surgeon and this is my idea, I may think it's a great idea. And maybe I think it's a great idea because I thought of it. It's not important what you think. It's important what the whole community thinks. So what I like to do is get out early with a structured interview. And it maybe it's six, seven questions around those key elements just to make sure that the world really does believe this is also a key problem that needs to be solved. Number four is, you know, how big is the market actually? And how could you get to something uh, quickly and addressable? And maybe number five is, can you get solid issued patents on it? Because you're going to need to protect it. If you come up with something that's very clever and novel and solves a big problem, but you can't patent it, the big companies could just do it and not need you. So that's kind of early stage for me. Commercialization is a little different. I mean, I could talk about that too, if you like, but but yeah, really, yeah, too, is it just it's it's fascinating because your technology is so new to the marketplace and dramatically different. I, I think a lot of people listening to the call would, would love to hear your thoughts on commercialization. Yes. Yeah, so, so with commercialization, you know, turn the clock forward a couple of years, you've answered those questions pretty well, and you really do believe you have something. You raise a little money. Not now, what do you do? You know, I think getting evidence is really important. Have you gone and really understood the anatomy? We did a pelvic study of 100 pelvi because nobody cared about the inside of pelvises. And so we did that study. We needed to know lengths, diameters, curvature, right? Have you done those types of things? Those are really important and are very nice to do. Have you done good bench testing? Do you really understand what you have? There's what one needs to do for, to get clearance, which is great. You've got to do that. Or if it's a PMA, get approval. But do you understand beyond that? Can you compare it with other devices? And then get some clinical data. If you don't need to get clinical data, get it anyway, because you really do need it even if you think you, you don't need it to get clearance. And then for early sales, start small, start focused, find the right surgeons who love new innovation. If it's an early technology, there are always problems guaranteed. <laughs> You've done everything you can, but you still don't know how you get in the clinic. Find those right early partners educate them that, hey, you're going to help us learn things here. You're going to have a ball doing it. We're going to get great information. We're going to iterate together. And then once you're ready, once you've done those early stages, then start selling the product because then you're ready to do it. And then I would also say start small there, start it as focused as you can. And then the next stage after that would be to expand greatly. So it's, it's really kind of process-based evidence-based and, you know, look for problems, look for issues because they're always there. You're going into uncharted territory that nobody's been before, you're going to learn. And, you know, if if you like that, if you don't want to do the same thing every day, that's what startups are. So, Well, thank you. I appreciate your analysis and I know the audience will be very interested in hearing your opinion on that. So I really do appreciate that. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Steve, today and talking about Curvafix and your revolutionary technology. I think as I see from afar and talk to others, I think you're addressing an issue that needed addressing for years and you've done that. So, and really appreciate you taking time to come on the uh, podcast today. Thanks a lot, Eric. I very much appreciate the invitation and, and to all of folks that are listening and to all the surgeons that have helped us. Thank you. And we look forward to this next stage for the company. It's, it's really exciting for us. It's been a lot of work and we really are looking forward to helping a lot of patients with this technology. That's what it's all about for us.
Well, and I really think you are going to do that. You're going to be helping a lot of patients in the future. So again, thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. And if anybody wants to learn more about Curvifix, where should they go? They can go to email is info at curvefix.com. Great. Well, thank you, Steve. I do appreciate you coming on the podcast today and we will hope to follow up with you in the near future and hear about your success. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www.orthoidea.com.